and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Kopinski. And today I'm so excited to have author Sarah McCoy back on to discuss her new novel, Mustique Island, a compulsive sun-splashed voyage of self-discovery with a wealthy divorcee and her two headstrong daughters in 1970s Mustique, the world's most exclusive private island where Princess Margaret and Mick Jagger were regulars and long-held secrets are the buried treasures. Sarah McCoy is the New York Times, USA Today, and international best-selling author of the novels Mustique Island, Marilla of Green Gables, The Met Maker's Children, The Baker's Daughter, and The Time It Snowed in Puerto Rico. Her work has been featured in Real Simple, The Millions, Your Health Monthly, Huffington Post, Writer Unboxed, and other publications. She hosted the NPR WSNC monthly radio program Bookmarked with Sarah McCoy, and previously taught English and writing at Old Dominion University and at the University of Texas at El Paso. She currently lives with her husband and their cat and dog in North Carolina. Sarah McCoy, thank you so much for coming on again and congratulations on the new novel. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's always such a pleasure to get to chat with you and your listeners and to, I mean, books, books in the summer. It's like the perfect <laughs> podcast, right? Oh, it's I'm so glad. Um, well, I have been looking forward to getting to read Mustique Island, and um, it did not disappoint. It was, um, oh I loved God. kind of, yeah, I loved getting to travel to this setting, and um, the characters were um, just so interesting to read about, and I loved the different voices. So just for listeners who haven't gotten to pick it up yet, and of course they need to, can you tell us more um, about Mustique Island? I'm definitely curious what drew you to this place and kind of getting it on the page. Yes. I uh, So Mystique Island, I, when people ask this question, though, it's hard because I've do you want to know about Mystique Island, the book I wrote, or Mystique Island, the actual <laughs> place? Because All of they it. are both sort of legendary in like both their own ways. Um, so Mystique Island is a privately owned island um, in the Caribbean, in the southern part of the Caribbean curve. So if you think of the Caribbean like a big sea curve, only flipped the other way, then, then it's at the very southern tip of that crescent shape. Um, and I am, my mother is Puerto Rican. And so I grew up going to Puerto Rico multiple times a year for long extended stays at my grandparents, um, fincas, what they call them. They're like small farms and it was in the middle of the island. So we were very, um, we were very much Boringuin Islanders and I grew up in that and I felt like Everyone in the Caribbean sort of knows each other, you know, knows each other. We're all part of that Taino Indian is the original Indians that were there that were then colonized by the Spanish and the French and the English. So, um, yeah, I could give a whole list, history lesson on just Mystique Island. But, <laughs> um, so this, so that, I came from that. So it's what, what drew you to this story is that I, it was already in my blood, really, that Caribbean culture. And so I um, had just finished Marilla of Green Gables writing that. Another island, very different, Prince Edward Island, yeah. very different. 
Um, which <laughs> listeners have to pick up if they haven't already. It's so good. <laughs> oh, thank you. But everyone was like, oh, Prince Edward Island. That's very, you know, it's very G rated. And then I went to this extreme sort of other kind of wild island. Um, but I was in between books and I was being asked, what are you going to write next? And for an author who has, a journal. I'm not one of these authors who has a journal of 20 million ideas that they're just waiting to bloom and just books coming out of everywhere. That's easy. But for an author like me, where I really, I need years of sort of incubation with a novel idea. It's like putting a seed down on a piece, you know, in the ground. And then I'm waiting to see which seeds take and then which seeds are blooming and then which seeds are actually producing something. So I, though, at the time, had nothing. I had no idea of what I'm going to write next. And so when it was really terrifying, first off, and when I get like that, I just go, I dive headlong into areas that I find fascinating just as a person, almost like self-soothing, right? So I started watching um, a whole bunch of bio films and listening to a whole (laughs) bunch of um, memoirs on audiobook, and I started reading all sorts of, um, and not fiction, that's my point, nonfiction. It was like all this sort of history um, stuff. And in one of the films that I watched, it was done by the P- by PBS for the BBC, or the BBC for the PBS, um, and it was about Princess Margaret. It was called The Rebel Princess. And I'm watching it because I'm fascinated by Princess Margaret. And I'm, oh, I just love this. She's so great. And for no book idea, I'm just watching it. And there came a little blippet that said that as a wedding gift, she was given a piece of land on the island of Mystique to build an estate. And I just, at first it caught my, you know, caught my imagination because I thought, geez, I registered at Target. (laughs) <laughs> this woman's getting a piece of fun. Like, what, what did I go wrong here, you know? So, so I, that was interesting. I thought, you know, who gets a piece of an island? But I guess royal people, I guess they do that. But then I thought, wait a minute, but this was in the late 60s. I mean, that's relatively modern times. Who can give away, just give away? I mean, not purchasing, not legal, but just give away land like that. And when I started digging into it, I was informed that there was this island mystique that I'd never heard of in the territory that I thought I knew very well as my home territory, the Caribbean, and that it was privately owned by Colin and Anne Tennant, who were royalty and or part of the hierarchy of, of aristocrats. So they weren't like kings or queens or princesses, but they were barons. And that they um, basically just... Uh, cruised by the island, thought, we like this area, like a neighborhood, right? We like this area. <laughs> you know what? Let's buy a house here. Let's let's buy an island. And they just, they said, there's an island for sale over there. We're, we'll buy it. We got the money. We'll do it. And so they bought it. And, when, and that sounds quaint and like maybe possible if it were like a little piece of a patch of an island. There's nothing on it. It's just a piece of land. But this island has people and industry, cotton, and natives, and their homes, and their businesses, and everything. And when he bought that island, the, this couple, they bought everything. 
they bought the land, the houses, the people, every. And I say the people, but by that I mean that the people were told you can stay under the authority of your new governorship or ownership, or you can go. So it wasn't like slavery where they couldn't leave, but it was like, or you can leave. And if you leave, you leave your house, you leave your lands, you leave everything because you don't own that anyways anymore. That's so wild. Wild. And like in the late 60s and sort of modern times, wild. So, but this is actually what happened. So again, I kept digging into this history and discovered the tenants and got their memoir or got Colin's crazy, crazy, crazy memoir that he wrote. <laughs> and, um, and then I started playing with the, not playing with it, but digging again into this idea of, I don't believe, I probably believe 10% of what Colin wrote in his nonfiction, supposed to be super accurate memoir of how Mystique came to be his Mystique Island. I don't believe it. And so then I started thinking, how much of history is what we are told and is what the teller wants us to believe about that Mm -hmm. time and that period? what happened and then who had the power in that time in that period to tell their story of what they want us to believe happened and so all these all these sort of pieces of this puzzle started um coming together and i was reading his memoir and in it there was a one tiny little line that said that one of the residents because he started to go bankrupt um because he was spending all this money to do this, to do up this island, to be this sort of palatial pleasure island of everything you could imagine, uh, villas and, you know, dancers and every night a party and alcohol flown in from everywhere and food flown in from everywhere because they didn't have really hardly anything on the island. (laughs) And (laughs) he spent all this money and he started to go bankrupt. And then he figured out a scheme that the only way he could keep his island to keep control and be king here is if he then sort of um, wooed people to come and buy plots of his land that he sanctioned. So he would, he was like, I don't need this little bit and I don't need this little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll sell those parts off and then we'll get some money and then we'll get other people who are here who then will dump their money into it. And it'll be like, you know, it'll, it'll accrue. We'll get some money out of this whole situation. And so he started um, wooing outsiders. And there were three criteria in his book, in his, not his, so, you know, supposedly factual book, three criteria for people to come on his island and live. They had to be beautiful enough, according to his standards. Uh huh. They had to be rich enough, rich enough, according to his standards. And they had to be. Uh, and he is very open. So this makes me laugh that he was so open to tell people this. And they had to be a touch scandalous because they couldn't go whistleblowing about the things that went on on Mystique Island. Oh, my goodness. So beautiful, rich, scandalous. Those are the criteria. <laughs> we criteria. So that, I mean, right there, that's a novel. That's like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. like a game game show of like pleasure island it is it is like our modern day pleasure island love island all these all these uh shows where they bring on these beautiful people right beautiful willing to do scandalous things people and And then throw in royalty too right right so this is this is the the milieu that you know the, the stew pot that was mystique island and 
Um, I there was a line in it that said that one of the residents that he wooed onto the island was a um, recent divorcee who had been blackballed from Good British Society because she divorced her husband and then he died. And she got all his money before he died and then he died. And so, I mean, that really is kind of tr- terrible timing for her and very tragic. Um and that she had no place to go, and she was circling the globe on her boat, and her name was actually Billy Ray. And so when I saw that, and, and, and he said it was so, um, I think the line that really got me was he said, it would be so um, so much fun, because she was from Texas, to have her that Texas twang around. So she mm. was like a bobble. She was like an, uh, you know, entertainment piece. And that's what he did. He collected. He was a collector of things, too. And he collected all these artifacts from around the world. From And half the time he hadn't even been there, Laura. He hadn't been to, like, you know, to Egypt. But he would have a whole section of, like, Egyptian artifacts. And he just liked collecting and being able to show people his stuff. And so people became kind of his stuff on this island. Like, Interesting people, actors, um, musicians, and uh, fashion people, celebrities, a Texas divorcee who was rich, you know? These were all interesting people at his dinner parties that he could show off to other people that he had come visiting, Um, particularly Princess Margaret. That's what I was just going to ask next, like learning her there. (laughs) Right. So these people were both entertainment for her and also... She was part of the ensemble where he could say, oh, I'm friends with Princess Margaret. So it was like it worked both ways with him. And he was such a um, a narcissist, really. It was all about him and everything, really, when it came down to it. Um, so that is my inspiration for Willie, my Willie May character. I took those bones and facts about her and the island and and she had two daughters. The real woman did the inspiration, and I blew it up. I went from there. I went total fiction because I wanted to respect the privacy of the real people. So I changed names for the um, fictional characters. So Willie May, Joanne, and Hilly. Those are her two daughters, Joanne and Hilly. Um, those are made up names, and but she really did have two daughters, and that's um, that was the starting point. For this book. And it's a book about the island and the gay Paris times they had there and all the sparkle and the facade and all of that scandal and the games they played, the sexual games they played. Um, All of that is in the book. But it's really, I realized that is not the stuff, at least for me personally, that I want to celebrate or focus on, or even spend my time reading a book about, really, to be honest. What I want to know is what the people who were good people, like Willie Mae, and who wanted good things for their life, and they wanted better things for their life and their daughter's lives and the generations after, they she came to this island wanting something more than just pleasure. She wanted to find a place to belong, a place to put down roots, a place to grow and be prosperous and to be happy. And all these things that we all really, really want deep down inside ourselves, all of us do. And how that 
oh, can be such a struggle. It can be such a struggle to attain these things when you are just going for what they look like on the outside, when really it's a lot more work on the inside. So it's a story about this mother and her two daughters really at the the heart in this culture of um, popularity ruling and facade and very much does it mirror our culture today and I've you know, what it looks like and everyone looking pretty and everyone being under glittery lights and wearing the best gowns. And it's very Instagram only. They didn't have Instagram back there. Yes. Oh, I didn't make that connection. That's so true. Um, It's very 1970s Instagram of the time. (laughs) And, and, but what does that, so many of them are actually struggling deeply with sadness in it. I, I, um, I brought up or I, I, illustrated, I tried to at least, uh, Princess Margaret and how she had just about everything and yet she was a tortured soul. I mean, she really was sad and like trying to find a place where she could belong just like Willie Mae and a place where people would accept her as a person and not as a figurehead. And yet at the same time, and this is the quandary we all fall into, we want these things. And yet at the same time, Princess Margaret insists on being treated with the same royal treatment that she is accustomed to. So it's like mm-hmm. we want one thing, uh, but it comes with our own qualifiers that actually are barriers that keep us from getting the thing that we actually, you know, think we want. And then sometimes the worst of it is we get that thing that we are just, this is what I need. This is what I need. This is, this is going to do it. And we get it. And once we attain it, it doesn't give us the peace and the deep down satisfaction that we think it should. You know, yep, she built. We're still not happy. We're still not happy, and then we don't know what to do. Then we go find another sort of golden ring to chase. You know, like another carrot that's out there that we think will make us happy, and all of it comes back to you have to really dig into yourself, and that's what these characters do. Um, the chapters rotate so it's Willie Mae and then her daughter Hilly her firstborn and then her younger daughter Joanne and then we rotate Hilly again and so it's and then at the end it's it's Willie Mae who ends the book but really it's a collective bonding of the women in the book um in the last section of this of this whole thing so it's about this family it's a family drama it's a family um a saga actually on this island uh, and how these women overcome so much to really find who they are really not who they think they should be, not who they think they want to be, but who they really are. And, and it, it isn't always so it isn't always beautiful. That's the thing. That's what makes life um worthwhile is that not everything is going to be beautiful. Some things are going to be hard and ugly and struggles. And yet there is beauty in that. And that's what I was trying to weave into this book as a theme too. Yeah. And it was so um, interesting and, and um, I don't know, just thought provoking to get to be in their heads as they really figure themselves out and figure out their relationships with each other. And it, that sort of makes me wonder, how do you go about really getting to know your characters so well and figuring out what makes them tick? And what's that process like for you? 
Um, I think that process is called revision, revision, revision. (laughs) (laughs) So I do many, many drafts and each draft is a little bit deeper than the one before. And usually it's because I have a reader or someone, I have, you know, I have a handful of different readers. I have my first reader who it's been a few different people, including my mom at one point, um, just someone to bounce a story off of for Mystique Island. One of my first readers was a bookseller who I'm good, good friends with. And usually, and then, you know, and then it goes to your editor. That's another reader and your, your agent. That's another reader. And they don't, people always think, Oh, you have all the, this team of people help you write a book. No, actually what we have, or we have readers just like you reader who read the book and then say, yeah, I didn't really get this character. That's the feedback. There's no helping you write it. It's actually more like sometimes it can be more stressful. How do you process then? I didn't really get this character. You, it's so subjective and it's so vast that you just. But you have to like. At least I do. I take it to heart from the readers that I trust. So then I'm. I go into the narrative and I start hammering on this character like. If, you, if this person who I trust as a reader and I, I know is telling me the truth um, it doesn't get this character, then I need to make sure that this character is gotten. So I need to, you know, hammer, hammer, hammer on, on different themes on this character. Um, and so that's what I – that's typically what I do. It's a process of revision. It's like – I guess it's how a sculptor sort of does a sculpt, you know, or like in the old days, or I guess what they – chisel and hammer where they sculpt away and they, they, you know, nick off parts and then they put it back together and they shine it up. And that, so that's, that's how I really dig in. And also I have to say that, uh, some authors out there, bless them, say that the characters aren't them. I'm not the characters. We're totally different. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes, yes. But all characters I've come in this book to just embrace it, come through me. They're coming through my perspective. And so because of that, they are, there's a, there's a, a, a light on them that is, you know, like rose colored glasses, like, sorry, but that, you know, I'm the glasses. And so whatever color I'm in that day or that season or that year that I'm writing a book, the characters come through that color of glasses that I'm, I'm seeing the world through. They come through me. And so because of that, I think all the characters are me in some ways, you know, I think they have to be, I have to be able to empathize and relate to their struggles and to their joys. Each one of them individually, I, they're part of me and they're, I, I feel for them so deeply because I need on the other side readers to feel like they are part, these characters are part of them when they're reading these books. And so. That's so helpful to hear. (laughs) Just as like an inspired writer myself. No, it is because sometimes when you, when you do hear about how the characters are not the author at all, sort of like, but when I write. But (laughs) yes. Um, and you know what, Laura? Good. I'm so glad you hear that you write like that because let me tell you, the best writing and the most fluid writing out there, all those authors will readily admit that these characters are actually them 
inhabited. Like they are in these characters walking this journey with them. They are, it's like you're together with them, you know, the, you, they are you, you are them for that walk of this journey. So definitely don't ever think they know, you know, how can you empathize with a character if you don't feel like you have anything, you're nothing like them. Right. Right. That's so interesting. Well, I, if this helps you even more, I, in the Baker's daughter wrote from the perspective of a whole couple of chapters, I think of a Nazi German officer, which I have, you would think nothing in common with. And yet that's what made that character so heartbreaking from, I've heard from readers is that when you step into those shoes and say, what would make this character feel this way and do these things? And how would they feel them doing them? You're suddenly that character inhabited and it makes it even more um, impactful for the reader who's, who's reading it because then they say, Oh my God, that makes me sick and it makes him sick, but he's still doing it, you know? Yep. And, that, and that's those are the stories that I love where you are so um, just completely seeing the world through that person's eyes and walking in their shoes. And it just makes it so interesting. You know, one of the things I, I read an interview of yours where you were talking about kind of finding your writing community as an introvert. And I'd love to hear more about that <laughs> as, a, as a fellow introvert and what that has been like for you and how you've kind of figured out what works for you in terms of having a writing community. Yes, sure. I came, I went to an MFA program. I have to tell you that. So I went to an in-residency MFA program um, uh, at Old Dominion University, which is fantastic. It's got some amazing writer professors there. And we had daily classes and daily workshops with the same people and we hung out there. I lived there. It was all day. We had classes together. Then we had workshops together. Then we hung out afterwards together. And we wrote together and everything. And so I tried. I really did. I tried the extrovert writer thing. We tried, you know, we would, we're going to meet at a cafe. You know, all these people. Who, and there are. There are lots of writers who write at Starbucks. And they get a lot done. I just realized after three years and completing my MFA and graduating, I am, that's not me. That's not my best. I can do those things if I force myself, but I am not at my optimal writing speed or writing mojo. And I don't even enjoy it when it's like that. I, I am at my best and I most enjoy my process when I am alone completely. <laughs> and so, um, and, and I love my MFA. I think so they're some of my dearest friends ever. And I loved the process of workshopping with a big group, like 12 people who are all, you know, talking about your stuff. Um, I enjoyed that. I wouldn't go back to it. It was a good teaching tool, but I don't need that now. I wouldn't, as you know, as a writer now, I don't need that. So finding a, a writing community has really become more of um, finding other writers who are at the same place or struggling with the same struggles or dealing in the same um, material or something as I am. And then by kismet or divine intervention, we meet somehow and then we start talking and we become friends and suddenly I have these quote unquote writer, uh, writer community that's full of 
dear, dear friends. For example, um, just yeah, I'm this summer has been just super. You said it earlier that what about this summer? This summer has been crazy. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it is like it's out doing 2021, it's out doing 2020. It has uh. just been like what is going on this summer? I don't know. Um, but I am offline, actually, as we're taping this podcast. I took a social media sabbatical, which I've never done in my life since I've been on. I think I joined in 2009. This is my first sabbatical um, because it's just too much. It's all just too much. And I need yeah. a break. And I just... I decided, no, I'm going to, I'm pulling off. I'm pulling off of everything email. So this is, that's why I, I said, this is a real treat for me because I haven't done one of these in a while. I, I appreciate you coming out of sabbatical for, yes, for this. Yes. So, and you're a listener. So I'm, I'm all summer. I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And um, a friend of mine, I didn't even tell her all the, and I won't go into it, all the bits of why this summer is just because we all have our own, you know, laundry list of things that are just too much. Um, and a friend, my friend, yesterday, I got in the mail out of nowhere a, a letter from Paula McLean, who is one of my oh. most friends in the world, in the universe, and we met at a a book festival. Um, the Miami Book Festival, Miami International Book Fair, I think is what it's called, down in Miami. We met randomly there. We hung out that night. We just clicked as forever soulmates. And ever since then, we have been super close. Um, and we've seen each other, you know, as often as we can. And she, out of nowhere, sent me a note that just said, um, you know, this is a quick note and then blah, 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 personal stuff. And then a little, she said, I saw this book and I had to send it to you. And it's a little tiny book. I wish you had video. I would show you this. It says, I am small and sensitive, but I will shank you. And I was like, this is, this is writer community to me, Laura. That is writer community. And that is, you know, that's the kind of community that I have where I, we encourage each other. We send each other encouraging, laughing, you know, things to make each other laugh. And just to say, we're thinking of you, you know, we're thinking of each other. And, um, but I don't have any sort of like community in terms of like, we meet this often and we look at each other's work and we, nobody looks at my work, but the reader I choose to be my first reader. Um, but I still feel like I have a really, really large and encompassing and loving um, writer community around me. And I, and maybe that's because I'm an introvert. Like that's all I need is for people to reach out and to say, Hey, are you busy in two days? <laughs> this is how far ahead an introvert needs to, to schedule. Right? In two days, are you free? Cause we could do a phone call and I'm like, uh, let me look at my calendar. Um, so, um, it's so true. Yeah, and then he, <laughs> give and me Paul warning. I, yes, Paul and I laughed because the last time we talked on the phone, she was like, "Oh my gosh, I was so ready to get on the phone. I've been like anxious for an hour because she's like that too. She's like, I've been anxious for an hour." Like, oh, <laughs> like, I love you know. her too. I was I was just referencing in another interview this morning. Just I I've listened to interviews with her. I love hearing her talk about like her writing journey and everything. She's so lovely. Um, she really is. Yeah. Well, um, you know, just in terms of other um, authors, um, and I don't want to keep you too long, but just lastly, are there any 
um, books you've been reading lately that you'd want to recommend? Um, give any author shout out. I what I'll tell you what I've been reading lately. I mean, I, I could shout out so many authors just because I absolutely love them. Um, but <laughs> what I'll give you exactly. I'm looking at my on my phone right now exactly what I've just read, and I read. In order, I read um, The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams, and it was excellent. And I am now starting my dear, dear friend who I, this is another one where we met, we lived, oddly, our husbands worked together for a brief period of time in Chicago. And we met in Chicago and became fast, forever soul friends. And that's Allison Pataki. Um, who I absolutely adore. And I am now reading her book, The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post, which is about um, Marjorie Post. So I, that is what, oh, and then nonfiction wise though, I have to, I just absolutely loved it. I just, I finished, um, because I usually read two books. I read uh, fiction and then a nonfiction at the same time. And I read Out of the Corner by Jennifer Gray, this memoir, I don't know if you grew up in the 80s, but I did. Oh, and, the uh, Dirty Dancing? Yes. Oh, oh fun. Gosh, it was so – she did a really good job. It's a really entertaining, fun read. That and Stanley Tucci's um, memoir is very, very good. Those are my oh, two. I keep hearing about that one, too. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. Um, well, well, thank you for the recommendations. I'll definitely link to all of those. And um, – for anyone who hasn't picked up their copy of Mustique Island yet, I really hope you do. Um, it's such a great read. And I know I've been um, watching and rewatching The Crown as sort of a comfort watch this yes. summer. And so, yeah, so it was so fun to get to dive more into kind of Princess Margaret's world. Because, um, you know, it's briefly shown on the show. But, um, yeah, I just so enjoy getting to speak with you. Congratulations again on the book. And I will I'll look forward to the next one. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure today. And I hope your readers enjoy Mystique Island. I'm so honored that you did. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Sarah. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports a bookish home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.